her siblings uh, became believers. So the gospel is penetrated right into the household of Caesar, beyond just Herod. We we're told in Philippians 4.22, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. <laughs> so we moved into verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, we're not told how this actually happened. If the Holy Spirit, a voice, you know, was heard from out of nowhere, uh, or if the Holy Ghost spoke through one of the prophets. Uh, but I can tell you this, that if anybody here claims to be speaking on behalf of the Holy Ghost, uh, we'll let you speak, we'll record it, and whatever you say better happen. Because if not, you'll never speak again, because that'll make you a false prophet. Just keep that in mind. So I say this, this is an apostolic event. This doesn't happen normally in your lifetime. I don't believe it's a thing that you should expect to happen. But again, we refer you to our previous comments about apostolic miracles versus general miracles as we move on to verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, and they're off. And uh, they, that's how it should be with us. Once we know what God wants us to do, don't waste time. Pray. Share it with us. Hey, the Lord has led me to do such and such. Pray for me. Uh, Brother Pedro believes the Lord has led him to start a woodworking business. And so, uh, we're, what do we do? We prayed for him. And now, he's off. And uh, we pray that the Lord will bless it. That's true of any of you, whatever you're doing. I think, Doug, you had a real estate thing going on. And we pray the Lord. But we, you know, we always say... No matter what it is, Lord, if it's your will, and there's times where you may think the Lord's driving you towards something, and if it doesn't then pan out, as they say, pan like you're painting, then what's that mean? That just means, hey, you're willing to be teachable, and God will show you. We've had some of you start things, and you don't end up doing it. Just always be sensitive to the leading of God. There's been times where people started something, didn't go through with it, they kind of backed off, but what happened? They were able to befriend somebody or witness to somebody in the meantime. So it, it'll never be a waste if wherever you're at, you're serving the Lord. Keep that in mind. So we come to Elimus treachery in verses 4 through 8. Uh, verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So the trek begins to go where no apostle has gone before. To Cyprus. Now, I don't know if you've looked at that on a map. kind of looks like an anteater out in the middle of the Mediterranean there. And you can see on the map, I think I blew it up there, from Antioch and Seleucia, they hit the water and they come to Cyprus. And they're at Salamis, which is on the uh, east side of Cyprus. If you can just picture that in your mind as we're talking. Verse 5, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. First of all, this is not church. The Seventh-day Adventists and other Sabbatarians falsely claim that this is how they had church. This was not church. This was synagogue. They went in to preach to unsaved Jews who hadn't believed on Jesus. 
This was a ministry of missionary type of ministry, evangelism ministry. This isn't a local church gathering. So keep that in mind when you see that they go in on the synagogue. It's not because that was the way Christians met on Saturday, uh, seven-day Sabbath. That was a mission. They were outreaching. Then the next day on Sunday is when the Christians got together, and they talk about what happened the day before when they were trying to reach the Jews. <laughs> they gave a full report. So notice the humility of John and simplicity of the mission. Verse, in verse 5 there, they preached the word of God. That is all you're supposed to do. Whether you, you, you don't go to synagogue, <laughs> no matter where you're at. If you're around people who are unsaved, then you need to preach the gospel to those lost people. And you may not have an opportunity to start a conversation. You may not talk very, be able to talk in a lengthy conversation. That's why you should come armed <laughs> with gospel tracts. And you can leave them with the gospel. You may not have time to talk to them, and, and you, you don't, don't do this to people. If they're waiting on you, if you're in a drive-thru, you're in a restaurant, don't get them in trouble with their boss by t not allowing them to do their job. Don't carry on a 15-minute conversation. Um, you're making them a thief. They're stealing time from their employer. So what do you do? You read the room. You can tell if you've got a couple of minutes, go ahead and spend a couple of minutes talking with them. But if there's a line behind you and everything, then give them the track, pray for them, and move on. Maybe you'll see them some other time where there's not a line behind you and you'll have a few more minutes. You're planting seeds anyway, amen? And so you've got to use your common sense. I am guilty of not using common sense on a couple of occasions. I'll give you one example. We went out. I knew it was going to rain, so I said, let's go out before it rains. So what do we do? We go out and put about 500 gospel tracts on cars in a parking lot. Didn't dawn on me what I then, I got a message the next week. So I says, you know, I, I had to scrape that stupid thing off my windshield. And I realized, oh, that was pretty dumb. Some of the people came out and got the track and went on. But some of the people came out to find a mushy track, um, you know, on, stuck to their windshield. And they couldn't read it because they had to scrape it off. Just use your mind, you know, God-given reasonable uh, some of you have anyway, that, and, and don't do something that's just going to cause a big problem or anything. But verse 6, we're going to move on. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos. So this is Paul's journey. Some of you have seen the maps, and they're kind of hard to read sometimes. But if you look, the western tip is where Paphos is on the island of Cyprus. So if you follow the red line going dipping down, you see the pointed the arrows pointing that way. The red line above that is going in the wrong, opposite direction. That's when they come home later. It goes to the western tip of Cyprus, Paphos. That's where they're at. And now we meet Bar Jesus, who, as we will see, is also known as Elimus. In verse six, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, this, that means son of Jesus, the Greek, Jesus, Bar-Jesus. In Hebrew, it would have been Bar-Yeshua, son of Joshua. Um, that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. You always have to remember, you know how many Jesus, uh, uh, how many men named Jesus in Mexico there are? Same was true in, you know, 40 A.D. in... Israel. There were a lot of people named Joshua, and that's translated into Greek. Jesus 
translated into English Jesus. So this doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. There's people who lie and claim that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had children and all that. That's total satanic nonsense. Doesn't have any basis in history. But um, he was a male witch. They like to sometimes be called wizards. Um, and I posted this on social media uh, yesterday. All witchcraft is evil. We'll look at the text in a moment in Galatians 5. If you believe in good witches, Satan has already deceived you. We have to explain this to the little ones because so many, even good family shows and family cartoons will show a good witch. Yeah, honey, your son, you know, you have to understand there's no such thing as a good witch when it comes to... They may be a good, decent person that feeds their cat and, you know, does the, obeys the law, but all witchcraft is evil. Bad. Amen. Look at Galatians 5, the text there. Just over a few pages to the right, to the east side of your Bible, if you're standing where I am. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Read verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. We don't have time to define each one of those terms by a dictionary. But the second word, what's the second word? Does it, why doesn't it say dark witchcraft or black witchcraft, why doesn't it make a difference? Because all witchcraft is evil. That's right. And verse 21 then says, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, read the rest with me, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. Witchcraft. Um... I think I mentioned on the, the, the text, you know, you'll find Hallmark, um, Disney, uh, what, what was the show years ago, Bewitched. I had somebody tell me one time, well, but Samantha was a good witch. Yeah. Well, she was portrayed as a good witch, and she was very pretty. I had a crush on her, I know. <laughs> I think I was nine at the time. And, uh, you know, but... As nice as and pretty as she was, what she was doing was wicked, is evil. Witchcraft is always bad. You can't Christianize witchcraft. <laughs> so verse 7, back to our text. Which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Uh, we talked about that before. That doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> How many of you get phone calls? Hey, won't you come over here and talk to me about the Bible? <laughs> These days, uh, it's been years since it's happened to me. Um, well, let me take that back. There have been two or three people who wanted to talk about things related to the ministry. But as a pastor, I kind of I cheat. You know, I'm kind of on call, so to speak. If you, if you take those aside in my personal life, just people in my personal walk and everything, it's very rare that happens. Uh, but it might happen, so what? You should be ready. What are you going to say to somebody if they call you up and say they want to talk about the gospel? Have questions. 
Well, what about who married Cain? What about those tribes in Africa? You know, all those questions that come up. You got some answers? You, you're supposed to prepare now so that when they come to you and those questions come, of course, any of you with kids already know you've got to be ready. It's a, you know, it, kids are going to ask good questions as they grow up. But some of you, you know, you, you might have nieces and nephews or whatever. They're going to catch you off guard if you're not ready. Neighbors, in season, out of season. Preach the word. Amen. So it's funny how often you find prudent men with a satanic parasite connected to him, though. Just think of that. How many of you have seen, well, let me just tell you, I have to tell you it's happened to me a number of times, where somebody, he seems like a nice guy, becomes a friend of mine, and the next thing you know, they're trying to pull me away from the Lord. Now, it's been a number of years since this happened to me. Uh, I guess I'm getting old, and you know, I don't have that happen as often when you get old, maybe. <laughs> But I got saved, and I was about 19 years old, and for the next 15 years, I thought I made friends. And over and over and over, but even as I was going through bad things, bad times, and you'd expect a Christian friend to try to encourage you to stay close to the Lord and, and lift you up, over and over, they would just try to push me away from the Lord. And... Give me excuses to just backslide. I mean, warn you folks, Satan knows we like to have friends. Well, he's going to bring a few along in your lifetime. And you just have to stay the line and insist that you don't, I'm not going there with you. And you won't have to do much else. If you won't go with them, they'll leave you. You don't have to leave them. But there's times where you might have to say, I'm sorry, we've, this friendship is over. Unless or until you repent and you stop trying to ruin me and shipwreck my faith and pull me into sin, I can't be friends with someone like that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. Amen. And Proverbs 13.16. Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. Those friends of yours, if you don't see it ahead of time, at some point, even as they may be trying to pull you into sin, their folly should become plain to you. At some point, you will see that their life is a mess for a reason. They're never really happy for a reason. And Elimus, he's going to lay open his folly here in the text, verse 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation. This is Bar-Jesus, also known as Elimus. Withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Think of that. He blatantly is trying to get Sergi Sergio, is what I want to call him, Sergius Paulus, and pull him away from the gospel, and pull him away. Now, I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen where someone is witnessing. I was on the streets witnessing, preaching the gospel, had a sign up, handing out Bibles and tracts, and on more than one occasion, I had somebody who just, and there were two different uh, theologies that produced this, the charismatic and Calvinist. I had charismatics come up and want to talk to me about speaking in tongues. I said, listen, we can talk about that some other time. I'm preaching the gospel to lost souls right now. 
Of course, they were like, well, if you're not preaching that they must speak in tongues to give evidence for... Just get out of my face or I'm going to call police. I've got business here that the Lord has called me to. I don't have time for this. Now, I'd Calvinists basically tell me, oh, you know, it's no big deal. If they're elect, they'll get saved. You know, you don't need to be doing all this. And I've told the story a number of times. Maybe some of you have heard me talk about it. But they gave me a stack of books about this far off off the ground. Free to try to indoctrinate me so that I wouldn't preach on the streets anymore. <laughs> That's the kind of thing. And I've seen it. Jenny and I have seen it. She could tell you stories where someone we're talking to and someone cut right in and stand in front of you to keep you from being able to talk to them. Interrupt you. How many of you experienced that? Any of it? Trying to talk to somebody about the gospel and they just... Don't leave out Acts 2.38. <laughs> it's just an amazing thing but that's what's going on here with Elimus in verse 8 your, your worst story was uh, what, what Morrison High School when they tried to run you over yeah that was yeah you, that's another one Jenny and I both were out there with a sign telling the homosexual crowd who is celebrating get the gay marriage decision in the Supreme Court and our sign said uh, uh, homosexuality is a sin. Turn to Jesus and be saved. And we had other, an, another sign and some other tracks and everything, and a, they drove their car right up on the sidewalk, tried to run over us. And they didn't see that the berm was about that tall. And so their car went boom! <laughs> and it gave us enough warning to get out that we just got behind the, telephone, or the uh, light pole. They had to go through that light pole, and they didn't have enough speed to do that. And it's a metal pole. So we were able to get away from it. There's nothing more wicked than thwarting a soul that is seeking God. There are parents who have purposely kept their children from going to church and going to vacation Bible school or Sunday school or just going to church with friends because they don't want their kids to get saved. But Paul is about to wield his spiritual sword Hence why we showed the uh, fencing at the beginning. Verses 9 through 12. Paul versus Elimus. Verse 9 says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. I love that. I, I don't know that I've done that. I'm sure I, there's been times where I'm, I look back, I think it, I could give you some stories about it. But I've also seen it. I've been with men... And there's something going on. I can just see it in their eyes. And they're about to go after somebody. <laughs> and uh, they don't go after them with a gun. They don't go after them with a literal sword. But they do go after them with a sword. And we're witnessing a transition of Saul to Paul in name and in spirit. I believe there's a reason why from this point on he's called Paul. Saul of Tarsus died and Paul was the new man when you got saved if you were genuine and you repented toward God with faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ you die and a new man comes to life if any man be in Christ he is a new creature behold all things passed away behold all things become new you're supposed to be a new creature if you're not just means one thing of two. You're either never saved 
or you're saved, but you just are stiff-necked and rebellious and refusing to give up your life for Jesus. Doesn't mean you're not saved necessarily, but it does mean you're losing reward and you'll be ashamed of yourself when you stand before the Lord. So what do you do? You die to yourself. I belong to you now, Lord. Let them mock me. Let them make fun of me. I'm going to serve you. I don't care. I don't care about me anymore. I only care about you. Can you say that in your heart? If not, you're not right with God. That's the attitude of every spirit-filled, born-again Christian who's right with God. I no longer matter anymore. I only care what God thinks of me. I don't see a lot of that in today's Christianity. So Luke now refers to Saul as Paul for the duration of the book of Acts. Uh, the word, the name Saul will appear four times in Acts 13.21. It refers to King Saul in the Old Testament. The other three times, Acts 22.7, 22.13, and 26.14, are when Paul's retelling of the Damascus Road experience, and he quotes others calling him Saul. So from this point on, in the narrative, he's called Paul. So verse 10 says, this is Paul's words, and said, read that with me, verse 10, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? That is horrible. That is terrible. How could Paul be so mean? That's what people would be saying to you if you said this to some guy out there. Called him a child of the devil? Who are you to judge? But Paul is just pushing people away from the gospel. How many times have I heard that through the years? You're just pushing people away. By doing what? By just declaring that there's one Savior. He died on the cross and shed His blood, was buried and rose again. All other religions are false. All other gospels are false. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Sin is sin. Hell is real. Hell has flames. Hell is eternal. Heaven is just as real. And if you're not saved, you're not going there. And for that, I'm called a hater. And you're just pushing people away. Well, they're not really wrong. Because Paul said if you preach the gospel right, they'll either get saved or be offended. If you're preaching a gospel that doesn't offend the one who rejects it, you're not doing it right. And we are in a fight. A lot of people just are floating through this life not realizing it's supposed to be a, a fight. What did Paul say before he dies? I fought a good fight. <laughs> Isaiah 49.2 And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. And what else is called a sword? The Word of God. So you want your mouth to be a sharp sword in the eyes of God? Speak God's Word. Preach God's Word. Stand up for God's Word. That's why we showed the fencing. Because in a spiritual sense, Paul was in a sword fight with Elimus. In a spiritual sense, every time you face off with somebody who is resisting the gospel and contradicting the Word of God, you're in a sword fight. Well, you better have your... Sure, uh, sword sharpened. How do you do that? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's how you sharpen your sword. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You fight the battle in the spirit, and then what happens in the flesh, in the physical realm, is a reflection of what's going on in the spirit. And so verse 11 says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. I just think it's interesting because I believe that the unsaved man or woman, their last moment alive on earth is a mist and a darkness, and then they lift up their eyes in hell. God is giving this guy, actually, another chance. How many times would you like to have the power to do that? <laughs> Just knock him down blind. That's why he didn't give us that power. We'd be using it all the time. <laughs> It'd be a whole new population of blind people. So he... Yeah, well, Columbus gives it a run for the money. Verse 12, then we close. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So some of us were jolted to move by life-altering events. I know when I got saved, there were a lot of things happening in my life shaking me up. And I thank God for that. I feel bad for people who are able to just go along in their unbelief and not have their life shaken up. <laughs> but... I believe that day will come. For most people, God's going to at least shake you up at some point to try to jolt you into facing your need of salvation, facing your sin. Just food for thought as we close here. There isn't a word about any further effort to reach Elimus. You think about that? Paul blinds him and then leaves him behind, goes on. Sometimes there's people in your life you need to just let go of and put them in God's hands. Prolonged attention toward the wicked who rejects a clear presentation of the gospel is foreign to Scripture. I know people who have spent all kinds of energy and time and effort to reach some reprobate and ignore others who are lost and need to hear the gospel. Now, if you have somebody like that in your life, that you're not ignoring the rest of the lost world, but once in a while you go back and... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about people who, in, in their lives, they spend very little time outside of trying to reach a handful of reprobates. Sometimes you just got to put them in the Lord's hands. Because while you're spending time and effort on that one Bible rejecter, you are neglecting opportunities to reach those who have not yet heard the gospel. That's, you know, uh, it's a weird thing that most local churches that I was in in the 90s, you'd go to church and you'd hear a message about salvation. To a room full of people who are supposed to be saved. That's kind of a flip side of this, but it's the same sort of thing. Spending all your energy preaching the gospel to save people, and then outside of the church building, they had a handful of people they always prayed for and tried to witness to and everything. And that was the extent of their ministry. Folks, if you're not saved here this morning, then you're a liar because you all told me you're saved. 
There's nothing I can do about that. If you're not saved, that's on you. And we do preach the gospel because it's right in our text and we read it and we, we declare it. But you come here in order to learn the word and to grow so that then you can go out and preach the word and preach the gospel to those around you, not just to a handful of people in your life. People you come across in the grocery store, people you work with, other people in your family you've never talked to about the gospel. You need to spread the seed. Amen? Amen. That's just a little food for thought. Knowing that God will not turn away anyone who will repent toward Him with faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You, Lord, for this study. We thank You for what we were challenged with in this text as we are with every portion of the Bible we read and study. I pray that everyone here is reading the Bible every day, growing and learning, and taking these messages they hear at BBF and expanding their knowledge of the Word, always growing, always learning. And all glory in your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.